Hey, this is Jeff Gannon, and you're listening to the Focus Compounding Podcast, the podcast where Andrew and I talk general investing concepts. To get even more content from me and Andrew, sign up for the Focus Compounding app. The Focus Compounding app costs $7.95 a month. It comes with a bunch of 2,000-word articles from me each week, a fresh batch of five-minute videos from the both of us, along with one bonus extra-long episode of the podcast each Saturday, and immediate access to our complete backlog of 200-plus episodes. To sign up, go to focuscompounding.com app or wherever apps are sold. And now here's Andrew with your regularly scheduled podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn, sitting next to Jeffrey Gannon. Jeff, how are we doing today? Uh, I'm doing very well, Andrew. How are you doing? Doing great. We hope everyone is having a wonderful day. So on a podcast we did recently when we were going over banks, larger banks, we did JP Morgan. We did do Frost, even though that's not like the larger ones that we did. We did Bank of America. Um, I think we may have looked at Citigroup. You were saying that you know, it's totally your style to go and look at smaller banks, more regional stuff, et cetera. So in this podcast, let's go over smaller banks. Okay. And uh, you said you have a list of ones that we could punch in and then we'll kind of go from there. Yes. So I just want to give people an idea of what's out there. These are, some of these are not that small, uh, but interesting. So let's start with Axos Financial, AXOS. All okay. right. So this is not a small one. Mm-hmm. It's a, uh, I think 1.3 billion. I think this is kind of off for some yeah. reason. Yep. So um, it's trading at about one times book value now. So I think that it may have improved a little bit in price this year, uh, you know, from its lows of this year. But if I remember this one right, go to business description so that I can explain what it is. This is, yeah. So this is the company that was Bank of Internet, B-O-F-I, and it changed its name to Axos Financial. Ooh, what happened? Why did they change it? I don't know. Uh, they, all, they only have a great history. I mean, the company's, to my knowledge, hasn't had problems. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, I, I only look at the financial results, so I don't know if that people didn't like uh, something culturally about it, but it's been a great big success as a stock. Uh-huh. Um, so it's an interesting business. Uh, if we look, we can see why. So price to book is only about one times, but you can see, like, look at earnings per share, for instance, over the years. Uh, you know, earnings per share growth obviously is like, tw- you know, it's showing us like 25%, but it's up almost every year uh-huh. meaningfully. And yet the P seven or eight. So <laughs> I don't know, but if you're telling me, should I buy access financial? Should I buy some, uh, internet, whatever growth company, uh, access probably grows as faster, faster. And you know, um, wow. it's a lot cheaper. Yeah. Look at that growth has been really good. Yeah, And the stability. Now we could get into it. It doesn't exactly do kinds of things. I love, I think technically access operates pretty much like a thrift. Um, so it has like it doesn't have a very low cost of capital, if I remember right, and is doing pretty high interest loans that way. You can see the net, the net interest margin is three point yeah, it's four percent wow. yeah. over time, um, and that's so it's probably just you know doing a huge amount of real estate loans that way. Its loans to deposits are pretty high, things like that. So, um, but it's not way out of line of to me. It didn't look way out of line of what a thrift would look like in the nineteen nineties or something before the internet. Um, we'll see if that holds to be true, but. You know, um, I'm just showing you what's out there in terms of prices and yeah. uh, and uh, growth rates. Absolutely. You, know, you have a fast-growing company that's at seven to eight times earnings. Yeah. I, I love the quote, and you won't remember this since you were like, yeah, if, if you know, about investing your own money or whatever, you're like, I, I own a bunch of banks. You're like, I could always find a cheap bank. Yeah. There's just so many, you know. 
Yeah. Um, so this is a bigger, over a billion dollar company, does investor presentations and things, I think, if I remember right. What would your next steps be then to do more due diligence on this company? Learn about the company's risk taking and stuff like that. Everything about it looks very standard, like it's uh, loan loss reserves and stuff are very standard. It's amount of assets to equity and stuff where you can, you know, leverage ratios and stuff are very standard. Um, so I just be worried, are they taking some sort of unusual risks? They're growing incredibly fast. That's usually very dangerous for a company to grow that fast. Um, but uh, especially in the financial industry, but because of historically the way they did it was internet stuff. And I know that historically, like early on, uh, B of I, um, did it through like having, uh, attractive, like CD savings, uh, type things, you know, like high yield savings stuff, Got it. you know, come online and, um, put in large deposits with us and stuff because we offer slightly higher rates than other places and things like that. So, um, it just looks like a really good financial uh, information from that. If you just look historically at it, it has good 10 year and even longer period stuff. The thing that's just fascinating is, you know, you'd expect it to be two to four times more expensive, right? Mm -hmm. In terms of its growth rate and stuff like that. Sure. So people are very negative on it. All right. Uh, BFIN. A lot of these will just be pretty basic. So let's see how interesting these are. So this is a $109 million uh, company, right? Yep. And then um, if we look here again, price to book 0.6. Right. So yep. that's interesting. You have no growth and stuff over time at this company. You can do business description. So we have some idea to be able to explain to people. Okay. So, um, pretty typical bank yep. this way. Mm -hmm. Founded a hundred years ago in Illinois has, you know, lower beta, lower share turnover, things you would expect. Um, it hasn't grown and hasn't had a lot of success, um, in the last 10 years, but it's kind of a very random and middling performance, I would say. So you could just find out more about it and learn. Uh, the reason why I mention it is just because it's trading at two thirds of book value. Mm -hmm. So, but you can see that why it might. It also is somewhat um, like the loan loss reserves here are pretty meaningful, right? Uh, historically had been, and its leverage is pretty low. Um, so, like you know, uh, in terms of its. Uh, uh, you can see there where it says earning assets to equity and things like that. Yep. So there's a potential that it has a bunch of assets and that, you know, a bunch of it's, but it's the kind of thing that someone might want to buy. I don't know if it will happen or anything, but a competitor might want to buy them, you, you know, at, at a, you could pay like a 30% premium, right. And get them at slightly below book or something. If you're a competitor and you could probably do better. It doesn't matter how great their lending and stuff was. Cause you can change, change their it, book sure. pretty quick, you know? So just um, a way to get all those deposits and stuff. Yeah, I mean, if they're another Illinois bank or something, this mm -hmm. is just the kind of thing that you see a lot in that area. Um, There's a lot of M and A in the banking industry in the smaller and the smaller smaller ones, banks, yeah. and yeah. there haven't been many banks created in the last ten years or so. Uh, B A N R B A N R Banner. Okay, so um, yeah, so let's look again. Same thing. P E like eleven. Price to book is like a little bit below. One, your 10-year return on equity is a little bit above it. It looks very um, normal that way. So like if you take a 7.7% return on equity divided by 0.7 price to book, you're getting slightly above 10%, slightly above 11% and stuff. Um, uh, returns, uh, you know, like earnings yield, normalized mm -hmm. earnings yield, that's one way of looking at it. Uh, so it's just slightly cheap. Growth in deposits. Yeah, however, it hasn't like, self-funded all that and stuff obviously they had problems a while ago and they haven't always had a great return on assets and stuff this isn't striking me as necessarily a great bank or anything like that it's just a very typical bank it's also not that small if i remember right yeah it is 178 branch offices mm, 1.1 billion yeah let's look at the 
chart really quick. How do you come across small banks? Uh, you look through like every bank there is. Mm, yeah. Got it. Just go. Yeah. So you can see what happened in the financial crisis. Yeah, I got smoked. Which they've never recovered from. So they had 90% or something from the financial crisis. Um, Oof. Which isn't, if we looked at the 20 year ones, we could probably see why that is. So you wonder, are the same people running it and all those sorts of things. Again, so. $113 million market cap. Right. This one is one of the most, uh, most normal looking, I would say. So if we go up here to see, like their market caps like 113 million or something they have like 15 branches or something like that mm -hmm. they're mainly in um a, you know they describe a few kinds that they're in in indiana and then if we look down here the um price to book is slightly below one but the return equity is slightly worse than um seven percent over the 10-year period but it is interesting like you were looking at there it's been getting better like every year it's getting better, right? Yeah. So that's the fascinating thing about this one is you look at the history and you're like, okay, well, that's not very good. You know, the return equity was 5% 10 years ago, but it's like 15% now. So what happened? Well, that's almost all from return on asset increases. Return on assets tripled. So it's not from leverage increasing. It's from an improvement in the um, return on the assets. Why did that happen? I don't know because their loan loss reserves are the same as they were back then. Paying a dividend. And and their net interest margin is uh, worse. Well, that would show up in terms of increasing leverage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So their net interest margin is um, actually lower now. So you have a lower net interest margin now. You haven't, you're not taking lower losses than you were before. And you're not more leveraged than before. That tells me only one thing that I can think of, which is your expenses are down relative to your revenue. I could be wrong about that. You can look up a thing called the company's expense, uh, efficiency ratio. And in banking, I like the efficiency ratio that's based on their percent of like non-interest, net non-interest costs relative to deposits and things like that, or to earning assets. They're basically the same thing or to assets. But what most people will use in the industry is an efficiency ratio, which is what amount of expenses do you have per dollar of revenue? Okay. And, um, I, my guess would be just looking at these financials, I haven't read the 10Ks for this company, that their efficiency ratio has probably improved in the last 10 years. And if that's true, that's great. So, but it, otherwise it's a pretty typical bank. But again, what P's, what, five price to book less than one? Yeah, absolutely. You know, return on equity. I mean, if you were finding this in a non-financial company, there'd be a bunch of losses and stuff in its history. Here's something that's made money, basically, except for the financial crisis, made some money and that's the kind of difference between banks and non-financial things and how easy they are fine. So H M N F. Okay. So $65 million market cap. Right. Again, price to book less yeah. than one PE less than 10. Um, as you can see, uh, you have a terrible performance, what 10 years ago or whatever mm -hmm. in the financial crisis. And then it gets better over time. And so the question from that becomes, has that stuff changed? I was going to say, yeah. yeah. Would you go back and see like what crushed them in 2010? First or, thing I would is, crisis? are they being run by the same people? Mm -hmm. If they're being run by the same people, pass. If they're not being run by the same people, then, um, you know. Is that an automatic pass? Yes. Is it they could have learned from the financial crisis or is it to you it's just like If anyone automatic. lost money at a bank during the financial crisis and was running a bank, I would not buy any bank that they're running now. Great. They should be out of the industry. <laughs> so there's no reason that you should have lost money in the financial, that your bank should have lost money in the financial crisis other than you ran it wrong. Excessively. Sure. Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah. So, you know, but like, for instance, your capitalization position is different. 
they're 50% more capitalized now than uh-huh. they were 10 years ago. So this is HMN Financial. But again, it's just typical of that sort of thing. So um, it's not that different in size and stuff than it was 10 years ago. Many of the numbers are sort of the same as it was 10 years ago, but you've worked through some bad loan problems and stuff. Mm-hmm. This one still doesn't necessarily strike me as particularly safe or anything like that, I should point out. You can look up things about the Texas ratio. That's a good number to look at. Mm-hmm. Their capitalization position is strong, but they've had extremely high amounts of reserving for loans for a very long time. I mean, even now they're at levels that are like high levels for banks generally, and they were at incredible levels 10 years ago. And obviously they lost a lot of money for a long period in the financial crisis. So they had problems. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise it's very typical bank that, you know, that we've seen. So I guess when you're looking at these smaller banks yeah. that maybe are tied more to regions, mm-hmm. I mean, if you're going to do scuttlebutt, what are some interesting things that you would do? Is it learning more about the town, the income in there, the type of individuals that live there? What are your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, I guess as part of it, you could visit the area and stuff like that. You, by living in a particular area, you have a better feel for that. Mm-hmm. Have an idea of if the bank is different from other banks. Easiest thing is probably to talk to the bank and then ask them who they respect and stuff like that. Um, that's usually the best way of doing it. There's also lists of banks that I can see that I can compare them to. And if you have other banks in the area that are strong, I think the area that a bank is in is incredibly unimportant compared to what most investors think. Some of the best banks in the country are in the same counties and stuff as some of the worst banks. I don't think being in a fast growing place or whatever is necessarily going to help you a lot. Um, you, many of the banks that have had a lot of success can have it in very slow growth areas and stuff. So, um, I would rather buy a good bank in a bad state than a bad bank in a good state. Got it. Southern Missouri bank or SMBC. $216 million market cap mm-hmm. price to book 0.9. Yeah. So looks like they did. They've done pretty good. Yeah, so this is one that's much more predictable in mm-hmm. terms of their history, if we look at it. So, for instance, you notice that they don't really increase their loan loss reserves up or down over the last 10 years, which is interesting. Very stable return on assets. And then there is some difference in, like, um, leverage ratio over time where their leverage had been declining for a while and then started to improve. But that was about the financial crisis, so that's probably something that would happen naturally. Um, like, uh, And then it's probably spiked a lot now. Um, but what's interesting here to me is for the last 10 years, which have been a tough 10 years in banking, and we can actually see a 20 year chart of return equity. So if we take out like one little blip, which I don't even know if it's legitimate, we don't know what happened in 2005, but in 19, the last 20 years of this company, basically they've earned a return on equity that would justify a price above book. Mm -hmm. We can see that. So like the, it's been 10% or better, basically not a lot better. Usually it's right around 10%, Mm -hmm. but this is something that earns like 10% a year, almost every year for the last 20 years. Right. And yet it's priced at 0.9 times book. Mm-hmm. Well, when we compare that to other um, industries and stuff, other industries are not being priced uh, at um, anywhere near that. No. Where you're getting a t- t- P of 10, basically. Mm-hmm. So this is like a P of 10 on something that earns that almost every, has earned that almost every year for the last, you know, 20 years. That dividend growth as well. Mm-hmm. So you have pretty... Uh, consistent cheap business. And all, again, it's somewhat less leveraged than historically it had been. That's so true for all these banks. What do you think is the profile of a bank that trades at a premium to book? That's a fascinating question. And I've looked at lots of banks and I don't get why people are pricing some banks above. 
Uh, very, very small banks seem to be priced above sometimes. I think anything that's an acquisition candidate that people think is going to be taken over gets priced high. And then I think things that people don't think are going to be taken over priced lower. I think certain industries in certain states priced lower. I've seen that before. So like if people worry about a, a state right now or worry about an industry, you sometimes can get a good deal in that um, in that in banks that do business in those areas. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just coming. I mean, look, you look at their 10 year Kager, right? Growth and deposits strong. Yeah. Return on equity strong. Everything Very looks stable. strong. You know, the loan loss reserve to loans predictable, right? Mm hmm. And then you look at the price to book, but then you look at some other companies that trade, you know, at a premium. Yeah. And, and this is, a, is it, is it, I don't want to use the size thing, you know, people will be like, oh, well, it's always going to trade at a, you know, discount to price the book because it's a small company, but I don't, that well, uh, we don't obviously agree that. Right. But price, also that but. can't be true because it's quadrupled in the last 10 years. So if it quadruples again, and then it quadruples again, it'll be 16 times that size. Sure. If it's 16, what's today's market cap? 216 right. million. Yeah. So if you increase that by 16 times, you got a $4 billion company, mm -hmm. it, it'll change. So obviously they'll either pay you a lot more in dividends or something will go wrong with the business or they'll be, you know, a lot bigger. And at that point they'll be valued a lot higher in terms of price to book and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, we could also look at a long-term chart. Do you have that? So you, yeah, for some reason it didn't come up. We'll on. just put it on overview. Wait, what? Oh, just go to, overview oh, we're on news instead of on news. Oh, yeah. Beautiful. And then go to max chart. Right. Yeah. So if you go to 1995 for this company, we can go back and see it was at three three dollars, mm -hmm. and now it's at twenty three. Is it twenty? What's it at? Twenty three oh seven. Yeah. So you have an increase of you know you're close to eight times there um, over a period of in this case it's twenty five years. However, you had been at a much higher price for most of the last few years until there was a big decline this year. Mm -hmm. You know, there's been a big decline in a lot of banks um, this year. That's why I'm mentioning all of these. Uh, we can go to Timberland Bancor. TSBK. So I just want to show people all the choices that are out there. There's just, it's not that one of these is special. It's like, there's a lot out there. Would you buy a basket of these? Probably. Would you not. try to focus more in on it? No, I would try to figure out ones where I could meet management and talk to them mm -hmm. and stuff. I'd be concerned about losing a lot of money in one of them. And also there's certain ones that I could pick out and, and mention um, that I like a lot that I think the potential is a lot higher. Uh, we could do one in that way. It's um, This is different from the rest, but uh, instead of Timberland right now, put in HIFS. This is one I think is very different from the rest of the group. So this is a highly unusual bank. It, it's um, Hingham Institution for Savings, HIFS. It was taken over in the 1990s by some major shareholders in like a proxy battle who then changed the direction of the company dramatically. And if we go to the OTC markets thing, you can see that reflecting the stock performance. And we could, if you get that, like use just money from Kager or something, would be a good way for me to show you that. Their return has probably been about 15% um, a year for a pretty long time period now. Um, so if we look, right, they were taking over around there. They were about $4, a little bit less when it happened in 1993. And then you have today, you're at $186. And that's over 27, yeah, uh, 27. years, let's yep. say. It's years, yeah. About 15% a year. They've also paid a slight dividend, and you had a huge drop in the stock price. If we go to OTC markets again to show you, you had they've recovered significantly from there. But they're still down a bit from where their high was. Mm -hmm. So you've returned 15% a year more for 25 years or something. It's been a terrific stock. And the reason why is if you look here... It's a strong growth stock. And so this is the one that's kind of fascinating to me. I mentioned this different from everyone else because a lot of people don't like the price. It's 1.6 times book. This is the kind of bank that I like. 
I'm not saying I haven't learned enough about this and stuff to know, is this my favorite bank or whatever? But when talking to other value investors and stuff, I like something like HIFS compared to what they like. And the reason for that is it's retaining almost all of its earnings. It's dividend, right? It's dividend was only $1.50 or something last year. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so you can, its earnings per share were, um, well, I don't have it right there, but you can see it's a very low uh, earnings per share were. I was showing they pay out 17? like 10% of their yeah. earnings. So yeah. they retain 90%. That's unheard of for a financial business. Um, they have one of the lowest efficiency ratios in the in the country. I don't know the exact number because it depends on how you measure them and stuff. But it, looking at about 5,000 other financial institutions and stuff, which some of them are multiple financial institutions in the same publicly traded entity. But still, um, I'd say I would say they're in the top of 1%. Lowest cost banks, um, and that's very that's the most important thing out there. And they write a annual uh, not letter but like comments to shareholders and stuff at the annual meeting. They put up like a transcript of the comments they make at the annual meeting, and it's very um, they have a very clear awareness of the efficiency ratio and the importance of it. So a lot of the returns come from that. So if they own, if they had the same expenses as other banks that do what they do, their return on assets and equity would not be impressive. Um, they're not a low leverage bank and they have high loans to deposits. So they have to be smart about what they do. Historically, they'd always made loans in the Massachusetts area, which is where all of their um, locations are. But now they just opened a bit one in Washington, D.C., which I'd be careful about. It seems like it's just a loan production office. So they're excited about it and whatever. But that always worries me when you open one in a completely different place. Um, really low actual charge offs that they've had, you know, yeah. things like that. Um, so those are the actual those are the reserves. But they haven't had actual charge-offs meaningfully for there. Um, this is what I mentioned this one to you before. They just had a loss on a, one in Nantucket. They mm-hmm. foreclosed on like a $3 million home or something in Nantucket. So they have one office in Nantucket. They don't in Martha's Vineyard. But they're on the uh, South Shore um, by like Boston and places like that, basically. I think they might have one or two branches in Boston. But they're really basically all around Boston mm-hmm. in like Cape Cod type area. Um, and you're most interested in this one out of all the ones that we've gone over? Yes, so this is one that I think can create tons of value over time. The problem, of course, is that it's priced a lot higher. We can see it's priced mm-hmm. somewhere between um, 50% higher and like 150% higher. We've seen banks that are priced anywhere from two thirds uh, from we've seen banks that are priced, you know, two thirds of book value. This one is priced at 60% premium to book value. So a lot of people would say, why would I want to buy it and stuff? But to me, if you're earning a 15% return on equity, and this bank has been between a 10 and 20% return on equity for each of the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. And if you went back to the 90s, it's the same thing. So it's really almost 30 years since current management came in. So 30 years of earning about a 10 to 20% return on equity. If you retain almost all of your earnings and earn 10 to 20% for me, That's pretty good. your returns are going to fall in the long run between 10 and 20%. So I could get like a 15% return on that. Um, if that's what you get, you know, over time in your mm-hmm. business. And so those interest me more usually than the low price to book ones. But this is very different, as you can see, from other um, banks. Uh, you know, it's, it's just co- bank stocks. This is not, I think this is the kind of bank stock that value investors are usually not interested in. Mm-hmm. It's the kind of one I am usually interested in. It has a certain level of stability. If you look at the 20 year record and stuff, that if this was a huge bank, if this was a JP Morgan, a Bank of America, a big regional bank or whatever, people would talk about the record, but they don't talk about it because it's such a smaller bank. Mm-hmm. Like this has the kind of record of a bank that Buffett would buy into or something. It's so stable in terms of its history that way. Um, but, you know, 
it is not overly conservative or something in like it may be in terms of the loans it's making and everything, but it has high loans to deposits. One of the strategies of management they took over is to own as few securities as possible and to make a lot more loans, which has risks that are different from when I talk about frost or something, which is a much more balanced portfolio of loans and securities. Um, it doesn't have the lowest cost deposits possible, but it's very efficient in terms of its actual operations. So like it's not paying out the lowest amount of interest to people, but it is, and it doesn't have the stickiest deposits I'd say, but it is able to have very low costs just in terms of everything that it does. It's very, it seems to me a very, very cost conscious uh, culture there. So, um, but completely different from the rest of the group that we talked about, but that would be the kind of one that would interest me more, even though to most people it's like, look, it's at 1.6 times book. Mm -hmm. But to me, it's like, it's here's something that's growing at 10% or faster a year has a 15% return on equity and has an 11 PE. Mm -hmm. And then from here, you would just be interested if you could talk to management. Maybe See that the way they think about, but I've know, read the everything industry. they've written for the last like 20 or 30 years or something. So I don't know if there's even that much that you need to do on that kind of stuff. So to me, it's like the only reason why the price is this is because it's a bank mm -hmm. and something might change so that now it'll earn a different return on equity than it did for the last 20 years, 30 years. I mean, we know this bank going back 30 years. So, um, something could change that the last 25 years, let's say is inaccurate now. Yeah, but it, so the bank was founded in 1834, but it did not have a good history until current management came in. It didn't grow a lot. All the offices are new. I just all think that. it's fascinating that banks can literally be around for hundreds of years. This is one of the oldest banks in America, yeah. yeah. I mean, some are older. Bank of New York, I guess, is probably the oldest still around or something. Got it. Um, yeah. So Very cool. We, can, we, we don't need to do it, but there, I added examples of many more banks, but we don't have to do this. Very cool. Um, but anyway, so there's at least half a dozen more that you could find easily that trade at price to book less than one. And why do you think more investors aren't, I guess, so interested in banks? Um, Is it because the complexity of it? No, I think interest rates are the main reason mm -hmm. would be my guess. Um, so you've had, like, is that a concern when you say for this company that you don't think their deposits are that sticky? Correct. Where if interest rates, you know, are going to stay low, a lot of their customers will kind of go shop around. Maybe. I mean, I have the return on equity number since 1993. We've had a lot of different interest rates from 1993 to today. Is it different though from, well, I guess, but like, I guess we are at like what record low interest rates though. So how? Yeah. I mean, Yeah. We're at, I mean, it depends on what you, yeah, we're at about the same interest rates in some things that we had at different periods. Yeah, they're about record lows. Mm. I don't. I just, I wonder why, you know, we looked at a bunch of these that look very interesting, right? Return on equity is great. Um, cheap by a lot of investor standards. I think. Why aren't they just as, I as interested? American banks are the most interesting, like asset class or whatever you could say in the world right now. Yeah, and you've made that comment before. Why <laughs> yeah. is that? Um, I, I mean, I don't know. So, like, maybe because of financial crisis. Is it because it's not sexy enough? You know, I mean, it kind of isn't. It could you be. Know? Which it could be. You know, but the reason why I say that though is like we talk about lots of different industries that could have prob that are cheap, right? So, price to book less than one p single digits, whatever. But how many of them do we talk about that have no chance of 
not being around forever. Sure. Yeah. That's the difference between banking. And if we could talk about something that's like the other things that ever hit these levels that we can talk about are things that people are believed that because of, um, global warming and stuff will be eliminated completely. Right. So there are things that they like have coal and natural gas and things like that, that people have pricing. That's that low. There's some sort of retail thing that's that cheap because they think it's all going to go online and all that sort of thing. Or they're, you know, in the past when we saw it, like tobacco or something, things with huge lawsuits and stuff like that. The the things we're talking about here are generally cheaper. Than, I mean, to just give you an idea here, right? Um, I could be totally wrong in this. Something could go very wrong with this organization here, HIFS, and the next year is that a different from the 27? This thing's cheaper than tobacco companies. Uh-huh. We just looked at the tobacco companies. I'm not saying tobacco companies aren't, aren't cheap or whatever, but... You could buy a bank that has a record of creating value for the last 25 years or something at prices that are lower than tobacco. Which would you rather own for the next 25 years? I was going to say, which would you feel more certain will be around for another 100 years? Right. Yeah, that's all I mean. Just in terms of the simplicity of what they're doing and the risks to it and stuff, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I just I read all these investor letters and rarely do banks come up on them. Well, that's the thing I find fascinating because... The investors that I see don't pick specific banks, which is one of the ones that it most... I was even surprised with something like Frost. It's very rare. The people who would own Frost would buy it, the big institutions would buy it while buying other things too. So like they buy Frost and Prosperity or something because they like Texas banks or whatever. They wouldn't just focus in on one bank and buy it, um, which is different from like the Buffett approach mm-hmm. of focusing on these specific banks that they like. Like he liked, you know, M&T Bank or whatever. And it wasn't necessarily that he had this big obsession with that region of the country or whatever, but he had a chance to do a deal in there and liked management probably. Um, you know, I, I've mentioned that before with some banks that like um, we did write-ups of specific banks and stuff, but there are some unusual ones in their approach to things. Um, I I guess they're also seen as very commodity-like, and that's part of the issue here. I see it a little different, just like insurers. Um, this company that we're looking at here, HIFS, for instance, we could look at theirs and then look at what was another one that we looked at. Um, you know, it could be, uh, let's pick any of the other ones, FSFG, for instance, okay? Yeah. Okay, so let's look at the return on equity graph for these two companies. They're both banks. They could not look more different. Uh-huh. One of them has a very stable 10 to 20% return on equity going back 20 years, and we know it goes back 30 years, right? It, it has a chart that you would expect for like a, you know, a cereal company or something, right? Then we look at this company. It had highly cyclical earnings for 10 years going to the financial crisis at which it lost money and stuff, and then it's had almost higher returns on equity every single year since then. Uh-huh. It's completely different. The level, like, they're, like, so I'm not saying that First Savings Financial might not be better because it's half the price of, of Hingham, right? So it may be a better stock. It could be. But it's achieving about a 15% return on equity, 14.6 or something. Is that what I see there? Yeah. Yep. So 1.4% ROA, 14.6% ROE. That's about the same as HIFS. So they both are hitting this number now. But if we look, the history of it is that that number is in the middle of a 30-year record, the median, that with little you know, variation on either side for HIFS with the same management team the whole time, versus this bank, at which this is the highest they've ever hit in the last 20 years. And there's no pattern of an even level of earnings here, right? So I, it's just like if it is as commodity a business as people say that you should buy it on price to book, would we see two gold producers and one has the record we saw of HIFS, right? Mm-hmm. That stability and stuff. Look at that chart. 
and then look at the chart of uh, FSFG, right? I don't think like if it's a pure commodity banking that you would ever see that, uh -huh. you know, but with insurance companies, with banks, people think of them as like a commodity company. But if you have the right culture, if you have the right management, if you have the right niche, whatever it is, you can have very different earnings and investing in these two different banks must have gotten you very different results. We can look at the chart. We could probably chart them against each other. Um, yeah. So F yeah, chart against FAS, FSFG and see how well they chart. Let's see. There you go. Yeah. So look at that. So that goes back to 2007 only for them, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So as you can see, this is where the part that I find really interesting. If you chart two banks against each other, let's do for the last five years to give you some idea, right? Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Wow. So, and this is true for lots of different banks. I find yeah. that they trade together so much. Um, wow. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah, even like do year to date. Even if you zoom in as extremely year to date, I think we'll see. Yeah, that's pretty significant matching, even mm. year to date, in terms of the moves that you're seeing. Why so is the that? banks move together a lot? I don't know. I don't. There doesn't seem to be much of an independent investor base for specific banks that's separate from buying other banks. I don't know what that's all about. Um, there seems to be a very high correlation between banks of similar sizes and stuff. Even though I think that in the long run, you get very different results. Um, depending on which bank you pick, uh, you know, they all tend to move together. Like I wrote up a bunch of regional banks and whatever, but the truth is if you had bought that basket, you know, they were in a fairly narrow range that all of them, a basket of all of the regional banks in the country would have done pretty similar to one individual regional bank. Um, so I just think it's very hard to know like why people are as, pessimistic about banks, I guess you could say, about banks in general. Now, or I should say all banks. I don't have a problem with the idea that, okay, interest rates are low and likely to stay low. That presents some real problems for banks because they have certain expenses that are non-interest expenses. And so this eats into their earnings. It's I was going to say, yeah. does their past record of course it matters, but do you have to think of the future differently than the past because of where rates are? Um, maybe. They might have a slightly lower net interest margin. It's already declined quite a bit. Mm -hmm. um, this bank will benefit somewhat. So HIFS will benefit somewhat because some banks, and, and we were talking to one bank that, the, in person and stuff that mentioned this. Remember, some banks use short-term forms of financing. And because of the way that lowering interest rates will work and all of that, you're going to see a bigger benefit to that part of your portfolio where mm -hmm. you can, to your funding to the point where it can basically be funded for free now. Um, so there were some banks that had to pay some, we're saying we had to pay somewhat competitive rates and stuff on, um, short term money, uh, and they no longer will. They basically can pay their customers nothing for it. Um, in some cases it was significant. Like, you know, there was a bank that was like, they were, we're going to pay like 1% or something. They're going to pay zero now, mm -hmm. you know, 0 0.05 or something will be what they give people. So, um, that's meaningful. And for some banks like this one that uses CDs and also some other sorts of things, um, it'll be really big difference. Now, at first, it should benefit them a little, I would guess. Now, in the long run, of course, the question is, does that mean that real estate loans and stuff drop by so much over time that there's no benefit to them? Um, so like if rates fall more on the loans that they're making, then they fall on their um, funding. That's one thing that people might be concerned about. My bigger concern would be there's a certain minimum level of expense that you have. Mm -hmm. This bank's incredibly low. Most banks are about twice this. 
So if we knew, I think their efficiency ratio is in the 25 to 30 range. I would guess that most banks are in more like 50 to 60 range. I mean, the average bank's even higher than that, probably technically, but Mm -hmm. I'd say double. So this bank is about spending about half as much per dollar of revenue that it's generating. So if you do the math on that, um, you know, the net interest margin and stuff is only where it is. Uh, I mean, it's only generating a net interest margin. So here we go. If you look at this bank, right, this bank's earning a 15% net interest margin, right? Mm-hmm. Let's try another one. Let's try FSFG and see. What 15% return on equity. A 15% return on yeah. equity, sorry. 1.5% or so return on assets. Yeah. So this bank having a uh, 1% higher net interest margin so almost 50, you know 40% higher like their charge you know their the spread is about 1.4 times the size of the other bank yeah is earning slightly lower return on assets how is that happening that money isn't going to shareholders because it's going to people at the bank mm. they're less efficient in generating each dollar got it um so that's the biggest issue and it's an issue sort of like when we talk about railroads and stuff right how efficient are they i just think that if a bank is twice as efficient usually they stay twice as efficient stuff like for instance cuz it's like a culture thing i believe h HF- HIFS, I believe, within like three years or so of management taking over, would have been one of the best in the state. So they've stayed one of the most efficient banks in the state for 25 years. Mm -hmm. And in my experience, like there are some size advantages and things over time, but a bank that's one of the most efficient, if it's run by the same people 25 years later, will still be one of the most efficient. Mm -hmm. I've yet to see a bank that like I thought was run particularly inefficiently. Management stayed around for 10 or 20 years and they suddenly became more efficient, Mm -hmm. you know? Got it. Cool. I don't know what's going on with Aaron I here. Well, thank everybody so much for tuning in with Jeff and I on the Focus Compounding Podcast. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. Thumbs this video up if you're watching on YouTube. We appreciate all the support and we will see you in the next podcast.